Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren. Welcome back to The Van Maren Show at LifeSiteNews.com. Today, I want to take a look at one of the most important debates raging not just across Canada and the United States and the United Kingdom, but virtually every Western and increasingly non-Western country in the world. And that is the debate about sex, sex education, and what is or is not appropriate for children. Now, unfortunately, this is a debate that has proven virtually impossible for anybody to ignore because the reality is that what used to be referred to as adult content, and of course, this was always a dubious concept because adults have no more of a right to corrupt themselves morally than anybody else does, has been completely eradicated as the sexual revolutionaries have gone all in on what is appropriate for children and what is not. And in fact, across the West, a war is underway for the minds of the upcoming generation. And we've seen that sex education is one of the primary battlegrounds, with American public schools facing a massive parental backlash over LGBT clubs, over instruction in gender ideology, and weirdly enough, over drag shows for children. In the United Kingdom, we've actually seen Muslim immigrants face off with progressive educators over LGBT education being taught to their sons and daughters, and a sudden surge of children identifying as transgender has caused a fierce debate from Finland to France. More than a half century after the sexual revolution rocked the West with its very foundations, pelvic politics are once again at the center of cultural discourse, if indeed those politics ever left public discourse. But I think even those who have managed to ignore these culture wars for a very long time, those who have primarily inhabited Christian communities with Christian schools, Christian subcultures that had managed to maintain some version of a way of life that existed only a couple of decades ago, but now seems increasingly impossible for most people in uh, post-Christian Western countries. It's because the sorts of things that the sex educators and the progressives are now advocating for would have been considered unthinkable a very short amount of time by the very people who are actually advocating for them now. I often run a a thought experiment where I ask people, if you had told President Joseph R. Biden that he would one day be advocating for sex changes for children as a human right or being interviewed by biological men identifying as women or inviting drag queens into the White House on a regular basis. If you had told him that in, let's say, 1990, what do you think he would have said? He probably would have been livid. He would have told you that you were simply a fundamentalist fearmonger. You were smearing his reputation. That never, never would Joseph R. Biden, noted Catholic, uh, actually advocate for the sexualization of childhood, for the mutilation of the genitals of healthy children, of poisoning children's bodies with puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. Joseph Biden and many, many other middle-aged or elderly progressive politicians who now advocate for those very things would have called you a liar if you had told them just a little while ago that these are the sorts of things that they would not only be permitting, but in the case of Biden and many others, actively championing as a core part of their agenda. The same thing would be true for things such as drag shows for kids. Uh, Canada's state broadcaster, the CBC, hosted an entire documentary 
uh, called drag kids, in which children in sexualized costumes engaging in sexualized dances for adults had money tossed at them as if they were strippers. They regularly write content, post content, produce content, defending the idea that drag shows for kids are appropriate and condemning those who point out that these shows are inappropriate as throwback, transphobic, homophobic bigots. This is the hill that they have not only brought us to, but that they have chosen to die on. And it's interesting because many ordinary common sense conservatives, or I should say just common sense people, feel really gaslit because what you consistently see now is that some massive new norm is violated. Some new, nor- some new norm is brought in, and then those of us who say, um, excuse me, what are, you, what are you talking about? How can, how can these sexualized shows be okay for kids? We are accused of uh, backlash. We are accused of making drag to be a political issue or politicizing people's identities. And so this is why people often feel like they're insane, because what's happening, the culture is shifting, the Overton window is being rammed over time and time again by the sexual revolutionaries, and every single time they unveil some new norm, every time they unveil some new version of sex education, every time they announce that all of human society now needs to be reordered along the lines of, say, gender ideology, every time we say, maybe we don't want to change in that direction, or maybe that's not true, or maybe men can't get pregnant, or maybe women don't have penises, then we're told that somehow we are the problem, that because we don't want to abandon the collective wisdom of millennia, that somehow we are the ones causing all the problems. And so we see this unfolding in debates in a really pernicious way, and increasingly, many middle-of-the-road classical liberal or even non-Christian commentators are already trying to find some sort of middle way, some way that they can accept certain aspects, say, of gender ideology or LGBT ideology while rejecting others. Because if you're not rooted to core principles, like the principles of Christianity, then you're just going to be the progressives driving the speed limit. All you're going to be doing, actually, is you're going to be preserving the norms of the last generation. But as each generation moves us further and further away from moral sanity and closer and closer to complete and total moral chaos, where I would say we've already arrived, then what we're going to end up seeing is the center continue to shift until eventually anybody who believes in the basic biological norms of five years ago is going to be considered radical while the alleged so-called right-wing conservatives will in fact claim that we are being fringe and, and they're going to say just sex changes for adults, not for kids. And this, of course, is the position we see being taken by people like Donald Trump Jr., who says he's very liberal on the transgender issue, but let's just defend the idea that kids shouldn't get sex changes because obviously that's the most egregious aspect of their agenda. But it will only remain the most egregious aspect of their agenda for a while. Give it five, ten years, and suddenly entertainment and the public education system and the politicians will have done their work and will be defending some other hill miles and miles hence from the one on which we currently stand. And it's really interesting to watch where different commentators that I respect land on these various issues. Conservative writer Douglas Murray's recent and very brilliant book, which I reviewed at thebridgehead.ca, The War on the West, covers many aspects of this multi-front culture war, but he's read a 
sent to comment on much of the battle over sex education. And in a conversation with Andrew Sullivan, the liberal columnist possibly most responsible for mainstreaming the idea of same-sex marriage in the United States with his book Virtually Normal, those two men discussed their discomfort with the term groomer. Uh, Many of you may have noticed this on Twitter and elsewhere, as progressives and parents face off over sexual indoctrination in public schools and elsewhere, many conservatives have been using the pithy response, okay groomer, to those who insist that children should learn such things, that they should be exposed to drag shows, that they should be exposed to so-called sex education with graphic comics detailing different sex acts. It's kind of a clever derivative of a comeback, okay boomer, which was used by a lot of millennials and Gen Zers to make fun of what they consider to be out, uh, outdated views, but both Sullivan and Murray felt it to be a slur. But I think this is actually an, an important little microcosm of the debate that we're having now as to where we draw our line. Because the term groomer is a particularly potent comeback because it's now generally agreed upon still that the sexual abuse of children is the very worst of crimes. Pedophiles garner less sympathy than murderers, and I think rightfully so in most instances, and reports of their deeds will incur instant public wrath. But what is really important to remember, and what Sullivan and Murray either appear to have forgotten or have deliberately chosen to forgot, is that when the sexual revolution, which both men admire in many cases, both of them being gay, began and the Overton window started to move away from Judeo-Christian values at warp speed very quickly, the idea that pedophilia might be normalized was very possible at the time, and we should go back and look at this history in the context of the debates we're having now. Because I would argue that the term groomer is in fact a perfect fit for most of the sexual revolution's architects, these very famous figures that are now lionized by the sexual revolutionaries of today, admired by Hollywood, admired by politicians. These architects had every intention of championing a world where adults could copulate with minors and even children. And I think it's safe to say that many of these people would be delighted to see what's unfolding right now. The father of the sexual revolution in America, Dr. Alfred Kinsey, stunned the nation with his twin works, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, published in 1948, and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, published in 1953. Kinsey and his colleagues had collected an enormous amount of data on the sexual behavior of Americans, and their conclusions presented a picture of an utterly amoral nation where the entire population were, by the standards of 1948 law, sex offenders. In fact, the LGBT movement's long-stated claim that 10 to 37% of men engage in homosexual behavior comes directly from Alfred Kinsey's reports. It was later discovered, as I detail in my 2016 book of the Culture War and in a blog post here at Lysite News, that his data was fraudulent and that Kinsey, himself a voracious bisexual, had interviewed prisoners, sexual minorities, and prostitutes to get his desired results. He was a sexual revolutionary and a social engineer, and he engineered the results that he needed to persuade the public that abandoning moral norms was important because the population had moved on from them anyways. But that wasn't the worst of it. Although that, of course, I think we can all agree is pretty terrible. Kinsey also solicited and encouraged pedophiles to perpetrate crimes against children for his research. Between 317 to 2,035 children were abused for his data on alleged, quote, child sexuality, his term, not mine. Many of these crimes, oral and anal sodomy, intercourse, and manual abuse, are laid out in his own graphs for all to read. 
The infamous Table 34 on page 180 of The Sexual Behavior and the Human Male lays out Kinsey's records of, quote, multiple orgasms in pre-adolescent males. Children from, the, children from infants of five months old to four years old were abused, while Kinsey researchers watched with stopwatches as the children screamed, thrashed in pain, passed out, and convulsed. And these gut-wrenching responses were recorded as orgasms, and Kinsey's work on child sexuality formed the foundation of modern sex education that we are all debating today. Despite the existence of Table 34, and anybody who doubts its existence can simply go to the library, sign out Kinsey's uh, book, Human Sexuality in the Mail, and you'll find it there, and the work of historians who have highlighted Kinsey's evil practices, he, again, is still largely lionized and was even portrayed in a sympathetic Hollywood biopic starring Liam Neeson as the well-meaning but tormented man seeking sexual freedom. The same goes for gay rights icon Harvey Milk, who was canonized in Milk starring Sean Penn. According to famous gay journalist Randy Schiltz in his book The Mayor of Castro Street, Milk had sex with at least one underage boy, the 16-year-old Jack Galen McKinley. McKinley ran away from home, met Milk, and viewed him as a father figure. The age of consent in California was 18. Milk, who was twice his age, was unambiguously guilty of statutory rape, and McKinley ended up killing himself. Milk now has children's books written about him and is considered by progressives to be an American hero. In fact, there are statues of him that have been set up. Now, of course, many of the sexual revolutionaries at that time rejected consent laws out of hand. Let me give you a few examples. In 1977, a petition was addressed to the French Parliament calling for the repeal of several articles of the consent laws. One motivation was the perceived unfairness of having the age of consent for sex at 15 when it was 18 for sodomy and other sex acts. However, many of the signatories had other reasons for opposing the age of consent. Among the French intellectuals publicly putting their name to the petition were Michel Foucault, the founder and father of wokeness, Jacques Derrida, Simone de Beauvoir, Jean-Paul Sartre, Louis Aragon, Roland Barthes, Francis Ponge, and others. This list is a who's who of progressives and revolutionary thinkers, and it's revealing to consider that their views on sex between adults and minors. In fact, again, I think they would be thrilled to see what's currently unfolding right now. In the milieu of the time, these revolutionaries had every reason to believe that their campaign to legitimize sex between adults and minors would be successful. Now, many of the same elites also signed an open letter that same year in Le Monde magazine on the eve of the 1977 trial of Bernard de Yaguet, Jean-Claude Gallin, and Jean Burkhardt. I'm probably butchering the names because I don't pronounce French very well. These were three Frenchmen accused of raping 13- and 14-year-old boys. The 69 signatories of this open letter including, included Giles Deleuze, Rowan Barthes, Louis Aragon, and Philippe Soleil. They claimed that it was disgusting that two of the three accused child abusers had been imprisoned since 1973, again for rape, and stated that if 13-year-old French girls could receive the pill, then they should also be able to have, quote, relations with whomever they choose. In this case, French intellectuals such as themselves. Two years later, in 1979, a similar letter published in Liberation magazine, which was co-founded by Jean-Paul Sartre, garnered 63 signatures in support of an accused sex criminal who had lived with girls ages 6 to 12. Again, these are not private sins or personally held views that we have now derived from private letters. These are the publicly expressed positions 
articulated by some of the most influential men and women of the postmodern era, whose influence, I might add, is with us still. It wasn't just the French promoting these ideas either. In Great Britain, the Pedophile Information Exchange, colloquially known as PI, openly campaigned for child sexuality. And that's, by the way, again, their framing, not mine. They called for the elimination or reduction of the age of consent and advertised legal help for pedophiles who got caught. Represent representatives of the Pedophile Information Exchange defended sex with children on the BBC. You can find these clips on YouTube. And the prominent Campaign for Homosexual Equality passed motions in favor of the Pedophile Information Exchange at their conferences twice. Let me repeat that. With now... The public view of groups like the Campaign for Homosexual Equality is that they are these groundbreaking revolutionary groups that dragged civilization towards a more equitable view of sexuality. The reality is that twice, twice, they passed motions in favor of the pedophile information exchange. They had political support, too, when one president of the Young Liberals condemned pedophilia as, quote, a wholly undesirable abnormality, another liberal publicly condemned him. Quote, it is sad that Peter has joined the Hangman Flogging Brigade. His views are not the views of most young liberals. That view, of the view that was not the view of most young liberals, just to repeat it, is that pedophilia is a wholly undesirable abnormality. And so if this public statement of a young liberal is correct, at the time when the pedophile information exchange was being backed by the Campaign for Homosexual Equality and interviewed on the BBC, most young liberals were in favor of pedophilia. Polly Toynbee of The Guardian later wrote about her, quote, sinking feeling that in another five years or so, their aims would eventually be incorporated into the general liberal credo and we would all find them acceptable. I want to pause here for a minute because every single time conservatives, social conservatives, use terms like groomers, we're essentially told that we're guilty of, of some horrible phobia and that to insinuate that the sexual revolution, which was a glorious sexual liberation, has any connection whatsoever to the normalization and eventual legalization of sex between adults and minors, we're always accused of being a horrifying, absolutely awful, bigoted group of people for making this connection. But here's Polly Toynbee of The Guardian saying that she had a sinking feeling that in only five years, the groups like the Campaign for Homosexuality would, uh, homosexual equality would, would push further. That in only five years, we would find pedophilia and the views of the pedophile information exchange acceptable. Again, these are not, these are not obscure things. I didn't dig these things up in you know, long lost archives. These were interviews done on the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, the state broadcaster. These things were done very much in public, but these things have all been memory hold because they're now considered inconvenient. And I think that if commentators like Andrew Sullivan and Douglas Murray were honest, despite their vested interest in the sexual revolution as advocates of same-sex marriage, that they would actually admit that when people like myself, when social conservatives point out that the next frontier of the sexual revolution is the normalization of relationships between adults and minors, that it's not so much that this is a brand new, never-before-considered frontier. This is the sexual revolutionaries who are fighting their fight, picking up where they left off. That is a historical fact, and let me give you some more. 
It was not progressives or revolutionaries who halted the Overton window's slide towards the acceptance of sex with children. It was despised morality campaigners like England's Mary Whitehouse, who successfully championed the 1978 Protection of Children Act. As I noted in a recent First Things essay on Mary Whitehouse, Whitehouse was right and her critics were wrong, and that should never ever be forgotten. People like Mary Whitehouse don't get glowing biopics. That is reserved for people like Alfred Kinsey and Harvey Milk. Yet it's Mary Whitehouse who championed the Protection of Children Act. It's men like Kinsey and Milk who were responsible for abusing minors. When the sexual revolutionaries were on the march, their idea of progress included pedophilia. And it was backwards reactionary conservatives with their backwards reactionary views that halted this revolution. Now, this brings us back to Michel Foucault, who I mentioned earlier, the founder of wokeness and arguably the most influential philosopher of our era, unfortunately. He was the father of critical theory, and his work was the inspiration for queer theory. And like Kinsey, he argued that sexuality existed on a spectrum and was socially constructed. Naturally, this meant that there was nothing unnatural or wrong in the realm of sex. He was a celebrity intellectual, a post-structuralist philosopher, and an unapologetic hedonist and sadomasochist. He was admired for living out and was much mourned when he died of AIDS in 1984 at the age of 57 in Paris. But as the Sunday Times revealed in 2021, he was also likely a pedophile rapist, and this, to Douglas Murray's credit, is something he does mention in his recent book. According to fellow intellectual Guy Sorman, he witnessed this on a holiday in the village of Sidubau near Tunis in 1969. Quote, Young children were running after Foucault saying, What about me? Take me. Take me. They were eight, nine, ten years old. He was throwing money at them and would say, Let's meet at 10 p.m. at the usual place. That usual place, it turned out, was a local cemetery. He would make love there on the gravestones with young boys. The question of consent wasn't even raised. Foucault would not have dared to do it in France. Sorman compared him to Paul Gauguin, the impressionist artist alleged to have sex with young girls he painted in Tahiti, and André Guidi, Gide, sorry, the novelist who preyed on boys in Africa. He said, there is a colonial dimension to all of this, a white imperialism. Now, again, the reason that Michel Foucault's actions in this regard are necessary to point out is not because we should go muckraking through the sordid histories of past intellectuals, but because Michel Foucault is one of the most influential philosophers of this century. As Douglas Murray noted in The War on the West, if it had been a white conservative raping non-white boys on the gravestones of a cemetery in a former colony, certain conclusions would have immediately been drawn. But Foucault's godlike status in the progressive world, which exists to this day, bought him immunity then. Sorman says French journalists and other witnesses saw this behavior and calls his own failure to report this to police as, quote, extremely morally ugly. But... Despite this story in the Sunday Times, which is a very prominent newspaper, he apparently still possesses some level of immunity because despite the cultural conveyor belt of statue toppling and cancellations of great Western figures, Foucault seems to have avoided a similar reckoning despite being guilty of, you know, actual crimes. When the news broke, French philosopher and former education minister Luc Ferry mused that his contemporaries have much to answer for, writing in Le Figaro that, quote, people have forgotten that 1968 thinking promoted pedophilia. Every adult had the right, even the duty, they argued, to awaken the sexuality that the bourgeoisie was hiding. 
When he refers to 1968 thinking, by the way, he's referring to the Paris riots, which a lot of people look back as a, you know, a great defiant stand by young people against the war in Indochina or some such nonsense, when in reality, the riot was sparked by young people who wanted access to the female dorms. And the slogan of these riots was, it is forbidden to forbid. It is forbidden to forbid. That is still the slogan of the sexual revolution and the sorts of things that we see happening right now on our news cycles is essentially in line with that original, very coherent, very succinct philosophy that was first pushed. Again, it's important to note that this was all done largely in the open. I'm not talking about the secret history of the sexual revolution. I'm talking about things that were litigated in public. In 2010, uh, two German journalists penned a chilling essay for Der Spiegel titled How the Left Took Things Too Far. Again, Der Spiegel's a very prominent publication. And they observed that, quote, one of the goals of the German 1968 movement was the sexual liberation of children. For some, this meant overcoming all sexual inhibitions, creating a climate in which even pedophilia was considered progressive. That climate involved discussion about whether sex with children might be healthy for the children and musings that this could be part of the kindergarten programs. The educators' notes indicate that they placed a very strong emphasis on sex education. Almost every day, the students played games that involved taking off their clothes, reading porno magazines together, and pantomiming intercourse, end quote. One influential magazine with a circulation of 50,000 printed photographs of nude toddlers accompanied by descriptions of their sexual abuse by adults. As these German journalists concluded, quote, the members of the 1968 movement and their successors were caught up in a strange obsession about child sexuality. This is an obsession, I would point out, that has reared its ugly head once again and is now present in the news feeds of pretty much anybody who follows the culture wars. Now, considering this history, I think it would be wise for folks like Murray and Sullivan and and everybody else accusing those of us who point these things out of bigots to not dismiss the concerns of parents and conservatives and other common sense people about the direction that sex education is heading and indeed based on the videos we see from places like libs of TikTok, uh, from um, exposés put out by journalists like Christopher Rufo, where it has already arrived. Is it hysterical to be concerned about the sexualization of children when it is not only manifestly already taking place, but what the architects of the sexual revolution explicitly intended? Should we not be concerned that the spiritual descendants and sexual disciples of Foucault and Kinsey might wish to pick up where the previous generation of sexual revolutionaries left off? Would Foucault and Kinsey not be pleased to see the Washington Post advocating that children see, quote, kink at pride parades? or Canada's state broadcaster encouraging parents to take kids to pride events despite seeing nude adults in their genitalia, or another columnist expressing enthusiasm that children coming to events could, quote, get beanie babies with giant penises on them. These are all real and very recent examples. I suspect Foucault and Kinsey and their spiritual descendants would be thrilled. Many of the architects of the sexual revolution were not only groomers, they were also child abusers and open supporters of pedophilia. They made their case for the abuse of children openly in prestigious publications and on the BBC, and they were embraced by the elites, lionized by the press, and heralded as heroic and edgy and courageous thinkers. As the sexual 
sexualization of children creeps towards the mainstream once again, backed by some of our most prominent progressive politicians, we need to remember that it was progressives who encouraged this last time around, and it was conservatives who resisted it, and we must not be afraid to call it what it is. Unfortunately, history tells us that the term groomers is no slur. Consider the stories that I've just shared with you. Consider the fact that these are all prominent, influential philosophers, historical figures that are the subject of blockbuster Hollywood biopics. These men were child abusers. These men advocated for the normalization of so-called child sexuality. It is the theories of men like Alfred Kinsey that have given rise to the regime of sex education we now see taking root in every Western country. Education that is oriented towards the corruption of children, the introduction of sexual practices, and of course, eventually the tearing down of barriers between adults and minors. In only the last five years, as I've been writing about these subjects, I've seen things defended by people who would not be able to imagine that they would be defending those things only a few years before. And so I understand that a lot of common sense, middle of the road people want to say, okay, I oppose, you know, drag kids. I oppose kids getting fed puberty blockers or perfectly healthy minors having their breasts cut off and double mastectomies or having perfectly healthy genitalia cut off and in uh, cosmetic castrations. But surely we need to be reasonable. We can't call these people groomers. We must find the middle ground. And I regret to inform these people that those who are at advocating these things are groomers. They are the spiritual descendants of groomers and child abusers. They are simply carrying on the agenda of the sexual revolution where it left off not very long ago, and that the antidote to the ignorance, the antidote to this collaborationist attitude towards the radicalism of the sexual revolution is a look not at ancient history, but very recent history. A look at what the philosophers and revolutionaries that are shaping our world today, what they actually said, what they actually did, and what they actually believed. Because their views are shaping our culture, and their views are horrifying. Thank you so much for those of you who have managed to stick through this very, very awful analysis in many, many ways. If you're interested in these sorts of interviews and these podcasts, please head over to lightsightnews.com, click on the podcast tab. You can subscribe to our show and you can also follow us wherever you get your material. Thanks so much for listening to us this week and do tune in again next week.